0: From Relay FM, this is Downstream, a podcast about the present and future of streaming media. This is episode number 47, recorded June the 29th, 2023. I am your master of ceremonies, Jason Snell, and with me, as always, is the director of strategy at Parrot Analytics, Julia Alexander. Julia, hello.
1: Welcome back. Jason, hi. How are you?
0: I'm doing great. I'm back home. You are in yet another city. You've been traveling for, it feels like, forever
1: yeah it also feels like forever and i feel like i have to apologize to our listeners because i said i was gonna have a microphone and i shipped it or well my partner shipped it to toronto to be here when i got here and they lost my microphone and so this is just we're, we're replacing sirens again with um airpod it's quality <laughs> all right all right well we'll we'll we'll
0: soldier on for another episode um uh let's let's get into it there's a lot to talk about uh and i wanted to start with some cnn follow-up because of course as people might remember cnn the travails of cnn has been a classic uh topic for us over our the lifetime of this podcast and uh, a couple notes here one is just a little note of pride i wanted to share um in his column on puck news dylan byer's Uh, wrote about your column that we talked about last time about how the real problem that CNN has to struggle with is the business model and the future of streaming and how to uncouple from the cable bundle and uh, keep the money, but also have a future. And I just wanted to note that Dylan had a little parenthetical at the end that said the piece made its way around the CNN C-suite. And I just enjoy the fact that yes, the people who are in charge at CNN read your piece about the problems at CNN. I know you talk to people in the business all the time, but this just made me laugh. I was just like, oh, now it's come to this. Julia's words are being read in the C-suite by the people, the poor suckers at CNN. I love it. It made me happy.
1: Well, I will say my favorite thing that happens, and this has happened to me now three times in my role at Parrot, is I will go and talk to clients and the bigger team. And three times now, someone has very kindly come up and said, hey, really love Downstream. Like you and Jason are great. And I'm like, well, thank you for listening to us. Yeah. And they always say, Jason and Julia, J and J. Yeah. And it gives me another sense of pride for what we do.
0: That's very nice. Both my kids are Jays too. So I'm like, I'm really into it, but uh, that's, that's very sweet. And I, I just, I'm, I had, again, you are, you are a, uh, an industry professional who is doing great work. And yet somehow I had this moment of like, Oh, around the C-suite. I was just very excited <laughs> by it. I don't even know why. Cause we've been talking about it for so long. Um, the, so long. The actual news about CNN though, uh, and this was broken by Lucas Shaw and Jerry Smith at Bloomberg. Yesterday, as we record this, uh, which is that Warner Brothers, they say Warner Brothers Discovery executives are weighing different approaches to offering live CNN programming on Macs in the U.S., including some that don't require renegotiating deals with TV providers. So it sounds like that other shoe we've been talking about is going to drop in some form. And this is really interesting because this is them saying, look, we have to be planning like you wrote. Maybe they just, you know, they read your words and they were like, yeah, let's do what Julia said. But um, they, they have to do something, right? They obviously have to have to prepare for the future and have a streaming strategy for CNN. And it sounds like, according to this report, they're going to do something, but it sounds like they're basically going to figure out what can they get away with? Can they renegotiate contracts? What's in the the letter of the deals that they have with cable companies that would allow them to do something that's still CNN, but not violating their deals with cable and satellite providers? But according to Lucas and Jerry, they are going to do... Something they are now actively working on a plan to provide live CNN programming within Max, and that is that's how you get to at least a streaming future for CNN.
1: Before we get into it, I'm curious, Jason, does having CNN or a form of CNN, let's assume slightly more than a zombie version of CNN Mm -hmm. available on HBO Max or Max or whatever it is? Yes, does that make you, yeah, does that make you? more inclined to use HBO Max throughout the week or are they kind of like it's there you know I know it's there
0: throughout the week I don't know but here's the thing I so I'm a Fubo customer that's my MVP VD of choice for various reasons involving being a fan of Pac-10 or Pac-12 football and it's only on the Pac-12 networks only really on Fubo and and you know it's on a couple others but like to get all the channels I want it was the best choice it doesn't have any of the Turner channels so if I want to watch baseball playoffs in the fall I got to sign up for something different and that means also no CNN and what i'll tell you is there are moments when there are big newsworthy things breaking where in the past i i just and this is something that's internalized i want to turn to cnn yeah and and fubo doesn't offer that and so fubo i can get I have choices, right? Cuz I have I have MSNBC and Fox News. Neither I mean, I, I would I would prefer MSNBC, but neither of them are are great. There are some other good options. NBC News Now is okay. There's an ABC News stream that's okay. There's a CBS News that stream that's okay. There are some like the other providers have built streaming news channels that do some of this. But there are those moments where I'm like, you know, I really wish I could just see see CNN right now for the next for next half hour or hour while this this news is breaking and then not watch it again for six months. So I do feel a little like like I've got a a, a phantom limb, right, where like I used to reach for CNN in certain moments and it's not there. So if I could get something that was branded CNN, even if it was really more like one of these um, streaming news services like CBS, NBC and ABC do. I would I would say that that was an advantage to Max. I don't know whether that would be enough to to keep me on Max, but I I think there would be at least some advantage uh, to me having something branded as CNN, even if it wasn't literally what was on cable, but something a little different. I think, yeah, I think there's value there. Um, I don't know how much value, but I think there is some value there.
1: Yeah, I I agree with you. And I think the really interesting component of this from a psychological standpoint is in those moments, because I think you actually speak as the very, very typical consumer in that moment, Jason. I think, like, I'm like that. I have moments where, like, Russia first invades Ukraine yeah. or, like, there is some kind of or, massive death or or Trump or a, right, to, is being indicted.
0: There's a guy uh, in Russia who's driving his convoy of of military vehicles toward right. Moscow, right? And you're like, well, that's interesting. Maybe I flip on CNN, but I don't have CNN, so right? Like, right. so it, I have that moment, that reflex moment.
1: Right, and so I think from a psychological standpoint, it's much harder to convince yourself if you have, if your only option is to go back to KTV to say, well, I'm going to sign up for, for cable, right? Like most people are not going to go, oh, well, this 30 minute thing that I really want, I'm going to sign up for. Instead, they'll go and find other clips on Twitter. They might go read the New York Times. Like they'll go find ways around it. But a $15 entry point that has a version of CNN that also comes with kind of HBO and all these other things yeah. that you can cancel after one month, there's a less, there's less of a hurdle within the psychological way that we approach willingness to pay as consumers. We're more likely to say, "Ah, okay, well, this $15 I'm going to get an hour's worth or a week's worth of CNN that I really want. That to me feels valuable as opposed to a year long contract that, you know, $200 a month in order to get CNN. But I think it's really interesting about this story from uh, Lucas and Jerry, both of who are incredible reporters over at Bloomberg, I think is the last part of, of the story, which is, A lot of these deals are not going to necessarily require renegotiating deals with the TV providers. And what I think that speaks a lot to is, one, I think, one, you're you're 100% correct. It's like a version of CNN. It's like slightly less zombified than CNN Plus, but not CNN Full. At the same time, however, I would not be surprised to see some form of simultaneous programming happening. I think the affiliates are looking at Disney and ESPN. They're looking at Max and CNN, and they're kind of saying, we don't want to be the ones left here, you know, holding our whatever in our hands. Like We want to be able to also move forward with consumers and the industry and figure out ways that we can get ahead of this with the, the content suppliers to figure out how we can then renegotiate these types of deals that doesn't leave us standing out in the cold. And so what I imagine you will see is some form of hybrid activity happen that has the approval or if not the approval, it doesn't have the strict disapproval of the affiliates. Right. nor the advertisers. I think you'll start to see that happen with CNN first. All eyes will be on ESPN. Like, all eyes will be like, how much does this, you know, to OTT cannibalize an audience? What does that mean for the affiliates? What does it mean for the advertisers? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But until then, CNN is kind of a perfect experiment because it doesn't have the subscriber count or it doesn't reach the same home that ESPN does. It doesn't necessarily have the stickiness that ESPN does with the seasons and the avid fandom. But it does, to your point about a phantom limb, which I think is a great way to describe CNN. Like, I love that. CNN is a phantom limb of like cable is great. Yeah. Is this idea that like if we see how this performs, maybe we can then start structuring our new businesses around what we expect to see based on this data that we get.
0: Right. The one financial challenge is going to be that a lot of the value that's been ascribed um, into cable deals, and this happens more in the regional sports networks that we talked about in Sports Corner, but it happens here, too, which is part of the value is this perception that um, cable exclusives are a bulwark against uh, cord cutting. And so there's a little more value placed on these things than they actually have because of that, because of the exclusivity deal. But what we're seeing is that the exclusivity stuff is falling away and the new if I were uh, this is going to be a stretch, but if I were a cable executive today. I would no longer believe that by putting things exclusively on cable, I'm going to appreciably change the trajectory of my business. Right. Right. I just don't. It's not it's over. Whatever you thought you could hold out against cord cutting, that that era is ending and the streaming era is beginning. And so now if I'm a cable executive, I want CNN on my package. I'm less concerned about CNN also being available inside max because i also have hbo and it's on max but i also sell it on hbo i also you can get mlb at bat from direct from major league baseball but i also sell that package and i have an audience that wants cable and if you have cable you you know you get cnn and you'll be happy um so i i feel like and maybe i'm being a little naive here but i don't think so i feel like the negotiation between Warner Brothers Discovery and their TV providers is not the same as it would have even been a year or two ago. And that I I would think this is more doable because everybody realizes that the the world has changed. We're in a little bit of a different place here. They need to go to streaming, but it doesn't mean they want to abandon their providers and the customers who are coming to them through the providers. They may just need to renegotiate depending on the deal the money, or maybe not. I mean, maybe that, that, since it's per subscriber, that number, you know, that number is going down, but each subscriber, if they love CNN, then, you know, having them be part of the, the overall payout from their cable subscription might be okay. I I don't know about that part, but like, I I think, I think it could be, um, I think this could all be, (laughs) right. It's like, this could all be handled people. We don't, we can, we can do this. We can do this.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that the difference too, which is, I think, important to this conversation is that. I love what you said about MLB, because if you look at HBO, right, the argument with HBO has always been they have maybe two hours, two and a half hours of actual live programming throughout the week. If you take out boxing, which is basically gone, it's like that Sunday block. And that's when people really turn to HBO. And then then you get stragglers within the cable bundle who are like looking through their channels and they are like, oh, there's a movie on and I'm going to rewatch it to this movie that they have the pay to window to. And so HBO kind of becomes this catch all for those just looking outside of that Sunday window. CNN, which why I like the MLB comparison, is hyper-alive. live. It is like the idea is that you've got an audience 24-7. But to your exact point, if that audience is link anyways, which we know that it is, and to your point, it's not necessarily like having CNN on oh. HBO Max is necessarily going to cannibalize the linear audience because they're two separate audiences, right? One is saying I still pay for cable because I like having CNN, MSNBC, you know, Fox Sports, all the things that I have. And I'm happy with that. They tend to be over the age of 55 they're happy with having cable, yeah. the audience who might get macked for CNN are, you know, let's say late 20s, early 30s to maybe early 40s who are saying like, oh, I want my form of news to, to Jason's phantom and line, which I love, right? I want the access to CNN when I want it. I also get all my other entertainment in here so I can justify that $15 a month expense versus that $200 a month expense within cable. So I do think where it really comes down to is the advertisers even more so than the affiliates because the affiliates right. are like we have to fill time. As long as we were filling time, you know, we, we're, we're kind of happy. We want to keep it exclusive. So the advertisers need to be appeased. And I think they are easy to appease because you can hyper target within streaming. Right. Um, first for, And then two, I think the real concern, and this is just a gut feeling. I haven't talked to anyone about this, but I think where it's really going to hurt them is their talent. I think there's a weird like thing where talent, you know, when we looked at CNN Plus, it was like they gave Jake Tapper like a book club, right? they were like, right. Jake Tapper, go and talk about your favorite books. But Jake Tapper was on. CNN at like four to seven, right? Like, he, like that was his block. He was on it. I think the idea of saying to Anderson Cooper or Jake Tapper, hey, you're going to go to streaming, which is not what's going to happen. They, that would be like the last thing to happen. But the idea that you're, you're now streaming exclusive, all these different acres have side projects on streaming services or like Anderson Cooper had a Facebook show, like a Facebook watch show and that was still a thing. Like they all had their projects, but their home is like, we have 70 million homes on, on CNN and I'm on TV. And I think that would be a harder thing to get around within their contracts and what that kind of looked like. Um, but I, I also argued in in my piece that one of the things they don't necessarily need within streaming is that kind of talent. Like you don't need to have Anderson right. Cooper at 8 p.m. on streaming because no one's tuning into or, or 9 p.m. No, it's at 8 p.m. No one's says or no, I think he's 10 p.m. I don't even know anymore. But I think like no one's tuning into HBO Max at 10 p.m. for Cooper. They're tuning into HBO at 9 p.m. for Succession or The Idol or right. 10 p.m. for Genstones. gemstones, Not necessarily Cooper. Is there an argument that you come in, you watch Succession at 9 p.m. and then if they're smart, they curate like Cooper at 9 p.m. Or, or Cooper at 10 p.m. and it's like, hey, I can just switch over and go watch that. Maybe. But I think to your point about why people watch CNN, it's not the Fox News style. I want to be told that I'm right and I agree with everything. It's like ah, if there's something happening, if there's something right? Like happening, if, if, yeah. if, if something's interesting, maybe I'll turn to Which it. And so you... I think it's
0: you could even have... I mean, I don't know how much they'd want to do this, but you could even have it that if you're watching something on Macs, you get a news alert that basically says, you know, do you want to pause this and go see what's happening right now? I That could be super annoying, but it could also be kind of interesting. And I think... Um, yeah, I don't, I, I don't know what's in the contracts. I'm actually really fascinated by that because what I sort of picture is there is a baseline CNN that is basically like news service. Like headline news used to be sort of, but like where they are covering the issues of the day and it's anchor desks and it's various anchors. And it's not like... The big name programming. It's just sort of like the run of day stuff. And that stuff is on CNN proper and it's on Max. And then maybe when Anderson Cooper appears or something like that, that contractually they might have an issue with that, that doesn't run on Max. And instead that they just keep going with whoever is a generic person at a desk talking about the news and running the same package as they ran two hours before. I also could see a scenario where the agreement is that the max uh, uh, CNN is a live stream only, right? And it's not on demand and you can't go back. It's really about what's happening now. And so, you know, you could see Anderson Cooper, but you can only see him when he's on. You can't like go back and get him. And that's part of the uh, equation is like, but again, I, I can envision these things, but I don't know the specific deals. What I like about the Bloomberg report is what they're what it seems to be saying is somebody at Warner Brothers Discovery has said, look, we got to have a CNN on Max, right? We got to have it. Yeah. And the question is, let's look at our deals. Let's maybe talk to our partners. But regardless of what the partners say, we are going to do this. So find out what we are allowed to do or not, which is very different. I know we talked about CNN Plus. It's very different than what CNN Plus was envisioned to be, which was like espn plus it was like bonus content for fans of cnn this is more straight up like we need a streaming version of the live cnn for when news is happening and that i think works
1: here's what i will give credit to cnn plus for and like this is after when we first started this podcast, okay, however many years ago <laughs> like we we were talking about cnn thoughts and so this is kind of full circles That's why and i love these stories but I've I've had the privilege and the opportunity to talk to a lot of people in a lot of different parts of CNN, former, current, um, a lot of people at WBD, former, current. And what's become really interesting, which is a side that I didn't think of with CNN, was this idea that they just needed to experiment. Right. I mean, it was a high cost experiment, but the idea was like, are people actually interested in this? Are people actually seeking out video news programs? And, you know, we talk a lot about how news is kind of packaged in 2023 and how do you drive subscribers? It's something that's very close to um, Jason and my own our own hearts. Um, we work with the media, but this idea of like, we know what kind of the New York Times does it, right? Like, like here's games, just cooking, and you come in for the news. Like, we know how websites that are ad-funded or not ad-funded, but ad-supported, like, like the Verge do it, right? Where they have a ton of writers, they're ready for scalability, and they have different beats and they're really plugging to SEO and figuring out that side of the equation. Um, they have the affiliate program with with when they sell links and all that. Uh, which you do when they include links like Amazon and these stuff. And on the other side of this equation, though, is video news programming. Like, will people actually pay to watch video news? And then within that, do you need to have 24-7 news? Do you need to have something that's like, oh, people are watching news at 2 a.m.? Like, how many people are actually doing that if they're paying for it separately? It's not just included within their cable bundle versus are people really just tuning in from like 6 p.m. to like 8 p.m.? 6 p.m. to 9 p.m.? Like, that's when they really want their news. And the more that you experiment with different formats within that, you know, can you do an Axios-style video news programming series? Can you do different topics that, um, like, like NBC does this with the News Hour, where they touch into topics that are far more online than they would do on the traditional TV side because right. they realize their audience? And so I think to CNN Plus' credit, I think it was the right idea. It was like, we need to go here. We need to experiment. The affiliates at the time were still not willing to give up on anything. So Jason Klar and his team were stuck with this. OK, well, if we can't get anything from the affiliate side without jeopardizing our, our stance there, we're really going to have to go and try something completely different. I think the advantage that David Levy, who's the new CEO at, at CNN as a search for a CEO and his team have, it's still a tricky business. They don't want to be like, oh, David's walked into an easy situation. It's a very difficult situation. But because the affiliates seem more likely and kind of move with the content suppliers, there is a little bit of leverage to say, well, OK, well, we can now experiment with maybe simulcasting, we can experiment with different ways of doing this that I think Kalar's team never really had the freedom to do. And so when I look at CNN Plus now, you know, CNN Plus to me a year ago was like an abject failure. And CNN Plus to me now is kind of, I do have a soft spot for it because I think it was an experiment that was attempted to collect data and see what they could do with news in five years that they needed to be able to prove five years before um, or at least understand five years before. And much like everything in a heavily consolidated entertainment media space, there just wasn't enough time for them to really get enough data to prove anything out or disprove anything.
0: A CNN Plus had so much to teach us. We just weren't ready to learn yet. Um, yeah, no, we'll keep watching this. This is fascinating. I think this is one of those great. I, I think it has a chance of being kind of a bellwether of like, all right at the very least, like, let's try this. What's it, What are the issues? Um, I am fascinated to see what's going on uh, and how they're going to move forward with this. So, um, let us move on to, uh, another topic, uh, which I've labeled in our show document, the take my ball and go home era is long gone. Remember the take my ball and go home era was Disney's going to put all their stuff on Disney plus and Warner brothers is going to put all their stuff on HBO max. And, NBC Universal is going to put all their stuff on Peacock and they're going to take it all from Netflix. Netflix doesn't get it anymore. Amazon doesn't get any of it. Uh, CBS uh, and Paramount, they're going to put all their stuff on Paramount Plus. Remember, that was the that was the first wave of this. Like everybody's going to build their own streaming service. And of course, the Netflix correction happened and everybody realized, oh, we want money. We need money. Warner Brothers Discovery is buried in debt. Um, Sherry Redstone at Paramount Global um, wants cash as well and probably wants to sell. and so you end up in the situation where all of those rules that everybody learned a year and a half ago, two years ago, uh, they're gone now. They're, it's, a, it's totally different. And what better example of this than the fact that, uh, according to uh, various Hollywood sources, uh, deadline might have been first, I'm not sure. Warner Brothers Discovery is planning to license content from HBO, including the Issa Rae show Insecure, to, drumroll, Netflix. Um, and what I said on Twitter was listeners to downstream will not be surprised that stuff like this is happening. Cause we've been saying for a while now, things are different. And David Zaslav wants money, uh, cause he's got a lot of debt to cover and, uh, Netflix is buying the content. Um, but it is also it's Netflix, right? So there's a question here, like strategically, is this the right partner for you? But at the same time, I'm sure that it's a lot of money. And I've definitely noticed that the narrative, Uh, in the last few weeks about David Zaslav at Warner Brothers Discovery has shifted to be more of, look, he works for the banks. (laughs) His job is to pay off debt. And his strategy is not as much about building a long-term business and making good general business decisions as it is trying to find money to pay off his debt. And this is a way to do that, is to take HBO material and uh, sell it to Netflix. So, what did you, you know, what did you think about this development of of actual, you know, HBO original content being sold off to Netflix?
1: Well, before I get into that, I'm curious. Would do you think you, or even your oh. kids? I know that you said your kids aren't necessarily big Netflix people anymore. I remember we were talking. Oh, my about daughter's the, my the daughter's way.
0: super into it. But yeah, yeah.
1: So she's super into it. So do you think? So this is what I'm really curious about, and then I'll get into kind of why it feels this way. All right. Are you more likely to watch like an HBO show if you're on Netflix and you're watching Stranger Things, whatever, and like Insecure pops up? Do you think you or your kids would be more likely to be like, oh, this is here. So I'm just going to watch it um, like it's as opposed to, oh, I'm going to go back to HBO and remember Insecure is there and then watch it or, or Deadwood or whatever it might be.
0: I don't I, I I'm not sure. Um, yeah. My daughter definitely has had appointment shows on hbo max and max so like barry and um euphoria uh, and and some others so she is a max viewer i would say i don't think she's watching insecure although my wife has um while i'm doing podcasts mostly just because you know i do a lot of podcasts she's got to entertain herself Uh, and she loves it she thinks it's a great show um when I saw this, I immediately thought there's a probably there's probably a very large audience who's never heard of this show. Right. Or even if they have Max, they might never have watched it. And I do wonder, like even with my daughter, if the Netflix, we well, like we talked about the power of Netflix to promote content and get it to be watched. Like if the act of putting it on Netflix and promoting it there will expose Insecure to an enormous audience that it never got on HBO and on Max. And, uh, you know, I think that that's true. I, I think there are some big picture issues about, like, what is what does HBO mean? It's not like HBO shows haven't been sold to other places before. But, like, w- what does this mean to the brand that, like, Max is not the place that you can get all the HBO stuff? It may disappear and go somewhere else. But I guess what right. I'm saying is my daughter didn't watch Insecure on Max, although she maybe could have. But I wouldn't be surprised if she sees it on Netflix and, and, and gives it another opportunity and and maybe watches it this time because she does use Netflix and she is looking at the stuff that appears on Netflix.
1: Yeah. So here's my quick thought is objective huge win for Netflix, objective win for David Zaslav's debt fund yeah. in order to pay that down. <laughs> um loss for HBO and here's why it's not like it's lost for HBO in the sense that they've lost these shows. They're still on Max. Like it's not, they're 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 co um they're they're just not exclusive. Here's how I look at it. I have some data to kind of back up this theory. When we look, and by we, I mean the pair analytics, um, applied analytics team. When we look at succession, we can look, because of the way that we track, what we refer to as content affinity, it's just the way that people uh, consume things across 450 million different accounts. We can use that as a sample to get an idea of how different clusters are engaging with different types of content. We can then look at which titles would perform well on any platform, depending on whether they're actually on there, based on the overlap with current titles that exist on the platform. Um, And so therefore you kind of get a sense of like, oh, this would be really great for customer acquisition or this would be great for customer attention. In some cases, like HBO, if you look at a show like Succession, on Max, it's like 50-50, which makes a lot of sense. Like the the audience that likes HBO, for the most part, is going to like Succession. Like That's a show that makes a lot of sense to that crowd. When we looked at Succession and how it would have performed if it was on Netflix, The acquisition rate was much lower than on HBO, but the retention rate was 20 percent higher. It was an it was an audience that was like they were watching um, something on Netflix and then they were watching Succession. It was a show that they were then going to. And here's what I think that means with these batches of shows going to Netflix. I think Netflix, two things. I think one, they're hyper aware that they have found a very strong position as an elevated CBS. it's a great place for them. I think Bella Bajaria, who's their head of content, has realized that she's making the type of shows that she likes. She comes from that kind of world. Um, She also is aware that it's doing well. People are watching it. It's boosting stock. Wall Street's interested. So they've kind of found their place there. But in doing so, they ironically neglected the 2013-2014 Netflix, right? This kind of like, we're going to do really, really premium, expensive, prestige stuff. And I've made this point on this podcast before. I think there was this weird rush to ever, for everyone to try and beat HBO, which never made any sense because HBO maxed out at like 33, 34 million domestic subscribers. Like it was never going to scale beyond what it was. And also HBO existed like, like that network existed for people who wanted that type of programming. And so when you look at Netflix, what they kind of want, but what they don't want to invest super heavily in is premium programming. And if you can't out, outdo HBO, you might as well get HBO. And with the scale that Netflix has and with their younger audience cohort, to which, to your point, like your daughter, who might not even have been, have been old enough to appreciate when the shows were on or who might just not know about it because they weren't paying attention to HBO, now this suddenly opens up the door to them on Netflix. And what does that mean? From a branding standpoint, you can argue that it's not necessarily a big deal. It's still going to open up with that on oh, the TV and the crackle. Like It's going to open mm-hmm. up with that. HBO is still HBO. But instead of... So so remember when I said that we could see how those audiences move. So when you looked at having, you know, kind of a succession on on, on HBO, it meant that the audiences that might have spent more time on Netflix or Paramount Plus or whatever might be, were moving to HBO Max to watch succession. But if we remember that 20% increase that we saw in retention if it was on Netflix, all it means is that there's a 20% difference in audience who might not necessarily be going back to HBO Max because now they're being satiated on Netflix. We have to remember all that streaming is doing is effectively looking at the network system within pay TV and saying that is a bundle and we're recreating that bundle, but replace network with titles. Each titles represent their own different type of network, but we're trying to program for everyone's day beginning tonight. What kind of show do you need? So if, think about Netflix. They have the elevated CBS. They have the true crime. They have the, uh, the unscripted reality, like including the Bravo stuff. They have the docs, and now they're going to have the premium HBO programming. So if you're Netflix, plus, plus all the new original series coming out and, and the film's a whole other conversation, plus your series. So if you're Netflix, it's a really huge win for you because you are retaining a bunch of these customers who might be going to HBO Max. And if they're going to Max for something like Succession or Insecure, then they're, they're looking at girls or they're looking at friends or looking at Big Bang Theory. And then you're trying to capture their time and say, well, we might be, maybe we'll just be on HBO Max as the number of streaming services dwindle per household, we thought it was going to be like five to six on average. Now we think it's like maybe two to four. If you look at that, right, it suddenly becomes, okay, well, are you Netflix, HBO Max and Disney Plus or whatever it might be? I have argued, and I know we're going to talk about this a little bit later, that it's actually more likely probably going to be something like Netflix, Disney and like a Tubi, rather right? like a Pluto right. TV. Like you have a free thing that you're putting on the background. It does just enough that you're happy with it. And so at that point, if you're now, fighting instead for one of the top four spots with an S-spot to one of the top two spots, making sure that your competitors don't have this type of content that is going to keep everyone feeling pretty satiated that what you're competing with is that franchise. So you're saying, okay, well, I don't really need my premium dramas on on HBO because I got it on Netflix, but I do want Disney because I'm a Star Wars fan, or I do want Paramount Plus because I'm a Star Trek fan. And so you kind of go over there and then they have a bunch of what they have going on. This is where like that puzzle game becomes really, really important to thinking about slate and long-term planning. So I would say, like short term win for David Zaslav and the paying down the debt fund, huge win short term and long term. I think for Netflix, um, and I would I would say it's a it's it's a moderate loss for for HBO. And so I think I don't know if they're thinking about it over there, but I would implore them to think about it in that capacity. So
0: here's I, I'm going to slightly disagree with part of what you said, only because yeah. and I'm interested to see if you you can tell me whether I'm I'm making sense here or not. Which is yeah, there are there are crown jewels you mentioned franchises there are crown jewels there's also user behavior that you don't want to um encourage and i think the, the the ultimate example honestly when we look at we don't talk a lot about theatrical except how it's impacted by streaming but like i think you could really make a strong argument that 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 uh, period of time when Disney was premiering lots of stuff on Disney Plus forty five days after it was in theaters has just trained a lot of people to not go yes. to Disney movies in theaters because and 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 they're trying to untrain them like uh, they ha- they really have kept um, Guardians of the Galaxy out of Disney Plus it's not even going to be uh, to video on demand until uh, like two or three weeks from now and and they have not announced a Disney date at all they really delayed the date for Ant Man as well they're trying to stretch that back out but the fact is they trained people to be like, I don't need to go see a Marvel movie. Uh, Some percentage of people just don't bother going to see Marvel movies anymore because they've been trained that it'll just be on Disney plus pretty soon. So that's a danger. But what I was going to say is if you can avoid that danger of training people to say, I never need to watch something on HBO because it will always end up on Netflix later. If you, if you make it long enough or the, or it's not the crown jewels, I think there's an argument for doing this. And my example is Insecure is a very well-reviewed show. People really like it. But the fact I would make the argument everybody who is going who is going to watch it on HBO and HBO Max and Max now has watched it and there's not a lot of of stuff that is going to say oh i need to sign up for max because in part i'm going to need to watch insecure because i've heard good things about it i think at some point you look at the lifetime future value of something like insecure and keeping in mind that this isn't even an exclusive the lifetime future value of insecure and you say I can maximize the lifetime future value of Insecure by selling it to Netflix because it's going to do really well there with an audience that never would have watched it and therefore has no value to me on HBO or on Max, but does have value if I sell it to Netflix where Netflix will find, it'll find eyeballs. And that's actually good for my content because it's still an HBO show. It's just... You know, the danger is you're training people to find HBO on Netflix and think, oh, well, I don't need to watch House of the Dragon on HBO because in nine years it'll be on Netflix, which I don't think people are going to do. But that's the counter argument. But for for the the kind of completed series that were kind of below the radar and have and people will like, but they just didn't find it Um I, I, that's the argument I would make for something like Insecure is like I, I, that feels like a good deal to me because there's another audience. They found their audience on HBO. It's time to find another audience somewhere else.
1: So here's my pushback on that because I agree with actually with the premise of your argument a lot. I, I totally agree. I think there's no reason to hoard shows. And I think for some reason in streaming, we've decided to hoard shows. And to your point, like the lifetime value of a series decays to a point of near zero by the time it's off the air for like four or five six years right like people have moved on from it and unless it's a show that you are returning to over and over again yeah, which tend to be we've talked about this on sitcoms yeah, it tends to be sitcoms right like or you know people or Franchise. procedurals like yeah. like yeah law and order stuff people come back to people get something like premium shows not many people really return to them i'm um, even on the comedy side of hbo so i agree that they should absolutely license that i think hbo made an Incredibly smart decision to license out its library not exclusively to Amazon Prime Video back in 2014, and the reason I think it was smart was because Prime Video is not a competitor. I would argue HBO Max, right, I, or even HBO. I think it's like, oh, well, even if this helps them and it does improve our brand, because maybe they have a larger scale because they're global or whatever it might be, they have the thing that we don't have. The on the the Amazon audience is not too dissimilar ironically if you look at the prime video breakdown and hbo breakdown it's not too dissimilar an audience profile and so the people who we might be expanding toward like that's great we might be able to actually convert them to hbo and for for new shows um and 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 to to add to jason's point it's not like hbo by the way is licensing like game of thrones or like and they're not licensing their big yeah the crown jewels they're licensing shows yeah they're licensing shows that have already had their had their run um but what i will say is If there's room to license HBO, because there is, there is huge demand for HBO, I just wouldn't have done it to Netflix. I imagine Netflix paid a decent amount of money for this because they know they wanted HBO and HBO knew it was Netflix, so therefore they could charge for it. But I think in a couple of podcasts ago, Jason and I were talking about this, Netflix isn't a really strong business right now because they know all these companies need to license their content. They know companies, especially like Warner Brothers Discovery, Paramount, have huge debt to pay down. And so it, and, and even Disney really kind of looking at what they're doing, what they're doing. And if you're Netflix, you're like, great, not only can we take basically what we want from what they're offering, we can also haggle a little bit. We can be like, oh, we're not going to pay you this much, but we will go to this. It's still a decent amount of money because they know the value of their content um, or assume, we assume they knew about the value of their content. But I think if you're looking at this in terms of a long term strategy is arming Netflix Right. To so use that kind of famous Bob Iger quote, where I, I can't remember the, you might remember Jason, where he basically said he was giving what we, they're giving weapons to like arms dealers in like third world countries. It's a terrible <laughs> quote, but he basically used it to describe what Disney was doing when they were giving them their films and their series to Netflix. The argument was we not only kind of trained an audience for them to be there, but we helped build Netflix. We helped build that audience that they end up really relying on. And I would argue that in a moment in the streaming, you know, colloquial wars in the US where churn is everything and HBO series are not strong acquisition drivers for Netflix, but they are huge retention drivers. You are powering your enemy to, to really kind of capture right. an audience that, I, to your point, I agree, would not necessarily go to HBO Max to to find Insecure, but, you know, watch another show, maybe it's related to Insecure, might watch it there or just come back to HBO Max in general. Instead, you have an audience who doesn't want to leave an app, really, most consumers don't. They want to be in one app, and they have most of what they need, which is why I think the fast system works a little bit. Um, and so, you're powering Netflix to do that, and I think they're they're your strongest competitor. Right. I so guess that, it's it's I, it. That's where I see it.
0: Yeah, I guess that the argument there is: Do you think it's a zero sum game? Do you think that they're that that? um Netflix, you know, you need to starve Netflix and starve yourself in order to weaken them. Or do you accept that essentially, which I I think is an interesting strategy question, which is, do you accept that Netflix is top dog and that um, you need to, if they're going to pay you, then you're going to take the money because you're not going to, you're not going to hurt them. You're not going to starve them. You're not going to really prevent them from being your biggest competition. So you might as well accept it and take the money. And nestle into, you know, second place or third place. Uh, and, and that's a difficult strategy to have. And I understand if you're David Zaslav and you're paying off debts, why you make it because it doesn't really matter. You need the money. So you take the money, even though I think there is a strong and you make a strong argument that the last thing you need to do is. Uh, make Netflix even stronger than it already is. By the way, that Bob Iger quote was: "It became pretty clear that we had been selling nuclear weapons technology to a third world country of sorts or a developing country, and they're now using it against us." That was the line. That yeah, that what a line. Said, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so related in the in the take my ball and go home era discussion, um, Paramount also doing this. Paramount Global removed four series. From Paramount Plus, including uh, Star Trek series. So we're talking again about, in this case, a franchise series that was actually a co-production, sort of, of uh, Paramount Plus and Nickelodeon, another Vi- Viacom property. It's a kids-focused animated show. Although I will say, as a Star Trek fan, it's a pretty good show. If you if you didn't watch it because if you didn't watch it because it was a kids show, I- I'm here to tell you that you should go ahead and watch it. The problem is you can't because it's not on Paramount Plus anymore. But um, and they they blamed it on the unification with Showtime, which is, I, that's a smokescreen. They did do the unification with with Showtime and Paramount Plus now. But that's not, the, that's not the reason. The reason is they get a tax write-off for removing these four series. And then you get to the second part. A lot of people are reacting like, oh God, I can't believe they canceled the show. There's a whole season of it. The 20 episodes that hasn't even aired. I can't believe they would cancel it and all that. Okay. Everybody take a deep breath. Here's what's happening. They pulled it off their air. They're going to take a tax write-off on it. But what they've said is these shows, I think three of the four shows, they've said they're shopping them. So this is the other, this is in the take my ball and go home discussion too, because what's going to happen here is Paramount is going to walk out into the world and say, I have a pretty well-reviewed Animated Star Trek series that it's going to appeal to families and and young adults and teenagers, and uh, we have not only twenty episodes that already aired that we've pulled off our air and that you can have, but twenty brand new episodes that will premiere on your service. And it's got the Star Trek brand and the power of Star Trek behind it. We'll even, you know, our global Star Trek promotion machine will help you promote it. Um, they're going to sell that somewhere. They're going to make money on that. The, the, so the, the, it's a very similar story, right? Which is pros are, well, Sherry Redstone gets money. Cons are, you are taking one of your crown jewels, which is the Star Trek franchise. And I'll admit it is sort of the most ancillary of all the Star Trek shows that are on right now. But you are putting it somewhere else when you've just gone to a lot of trouble, actually, to pull back a lot of your worldwide Star Trek rights from Netflix and Amazon so that you could roll out Paramount Plus Plus in other countries. And now you're going to take a little piece of it and you're going to sell it to the highest bidder. I understand it. I really do. And I think whoever buys this, maybe even Netflix, is going to get a pretty good deal because they get a Star Trek show and they get 20 episodes that they can roll out. What Paramount did is they rolled them out in 10 episode sub seasons, So it's essentially two yes. seasons, but it's animation. So in order to save money on what they pay the writers, which is a whole other issue, they call it one season, but it's essentially two 10 episode seasons that are just You get to premiere it. There's a lot of value there. So I get why they would do it. Uh, It's not just a straight up cancellation. In fact, I don't know if it does well. Who knows? They might even renew it. (laughs) But you got to find a partner to do it and you're giving away the crown jewels. So it's like, "Mm, I understand it, but I don't know if I like it long term.
1: This is what's so interesting. I think you hit the nail on the head. Exactly right. Which is they're not canceling the show. They're like, you take it, it, like exactly if you take it like it's not doing well for us we want to go invest elsewhere they got to make eight billion spinoffs whichever that tax bracket so and those end up being and so you know they're like we're, we're gonna we're gonna shop it up and i think this is where it gets interesting as these companies start to do it because there's almost like this head lasso moment right which head lasso was a traditional sale it was like warner brothers television yep. made it sold it to apple tv plus or really the yep. huge bidding war for it, sold it. um and i but it's, the interesting thing about it is this idea that like if you're Warner Brothers television and you're looking at Ted Lasso, we have data that proves that Ted Lasso would actually have been twice as, uh, as, or not twice, but it'd be like really 1. 1.5, 1. 1.6 times as effective on HBO Max as it was Apple TV Plus. Like, there's part of you that's like, ah, like we we gave them that. And you you hear when they, when every, whenever the executives out like post-Emmy statements, there's always like, you know, we're really happy that HBO won all these awards. And then they're like, and Warner Brothers television, Regrets. like that Ted Lasso, yeah. like, that's our win, right? Like, it's like, we made that. Mm-hmm. And you would love to be able to say also we we we've monetized that our, ourselves. And I think with the Star Trek angle, to to your point, Jason, I think like a lot of these shows are like, eh, like they'll shop them around, we'll see what happens. But I do think like it's gonna be so interesting to see if certain shows work on different platforms. Like if you're Netflix or you're a Prime Video and you're saying we want to be more in the kid space, we like Star Trek, it's it's got it to Jason's exact point, it's got a huge brand associated with it. It's a great show, like we're into it, we like the creators, like the writers. We're gonna take it. We have 5X, 7, uh, 5, 6X, the size of Paramount Plus. And so, or not, actually not at this point, excuse me, not at all. You're looking at, you know, just slightly over maybe 2X, if you look at the US alone, size of Paramount Plus. Um, we, we think we can find more of an audience for it. And like, imagine if that show becomes huge. Like, I think there's going right? to be so many interesting cases that will become a very, very important part of the streaming ecosystem and streaming environment story, which is in in broadcast. Or sorry, not broadcast, but in linear, if you move things around different channels, they might be more successful depending on the channel. Like ABC is going to be more successful, arguably, than TNT just because of accessibility. But you still were kind of channel surfing, right? You're going through you're like, oh, the show is playing here. I watch the ad, right? I know it's there. Great. On streaming, it is a conscious decision. So like I sign up for this platform. I only have this platform, and so therefore, if I see it on this platform, I might watch it. Versus, I might be less inclined to sign up for this one thing on this one. I have no interest in it. And so you can actually see. Hits being created based on the uh, persona based on the the audience demographic and audience makeup of a lot of these platforms. I think that information matters to advertisers, it matters to the executives it matters to like the content uh, investment allocation teams we're looking at strategy. And so as these start to happen and this is the article like nothing may happen but, like, maybe nobody might get on it it's like great or not great but you know things stop the story stops there. But if it does get fit on and it does do really well, this idea of like, well, why did it do well? Is it pure scale? Is it audience makeup? Like, what is it? That gets into like, how do we start thinking about what shows to buy, what shows to sell within streaming?
0: Exactly, because maybe in a different universe, right paramount global looks at star trek and says we are they talked to alex kurtzman who's running star trek and they say we do want to extend star trek's appeal to kids but instead of saying why don't you make a kid's show with our property which is nickelodeon and we'll and then they sort of like wrestled it back and said we're also going to premiere it on paramount plus and that and that's going to be part of our star trek strategy in a different universe they might look at that and say let's make a an animated star trek show that skews young and find a good partner that's looking for good kids content and the fact that this is a star trek brand extension is going to make netflix or amazon or disney more interested in this content than, and it would be a better home for it but that was conceived in the take my ball and go home era which was no no it's ours so everything is going to be on our our place and 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 i can see them starting to calibrate and say well wait a second this might not be the best place for this content just because we own it our service might not be the best place for it. And that's the world we're in now. Um, and I, I think, yeah, I think there's a chance that it goes nowhere or, or almost nowhere. It's also, yeah, entirely possible that somebody like Netflix picks this up. The power of Netflix kicks in the power of the Star Trek brand also kicks in. They've got a bunch of original content, a bunch of people who haven't seen the first 20 episodes of it. And, and Netflix is like, ah, this is doing really well. We'll order a third set of 20 episodes. Right. And Paramount's <laughs> like, okay, thank you. We'll, you know, you pay us. We'll make a sh- We'll make a Star Trek show for you, I guess. I guess we're partners in this now, which is good in a way, but it also does pu- put more fuel in the uh, Netflix engine, which, you know, th- we can argue about whether anybody should be doing that or not, but they do have the money. So if it was Netflix as a partner, who knows? Yeah.
1: yeah, it's, know. it's fun talking about Netflix as being back on top. Huh? Remember when they were Interesting, right? like, Netflix is done for. And I was like, ah. well, everybody's like, well
0: everybody else mortgaged themselves. I mean, Netflix has a lot of debt too, but like the the scale of the debt in some of these other companies, because they got merged or spun off or sold is so large that it does, you know, we don't talk about this, but um, we talk a lot about how Amazon and Apple are, are not following the same rules as everybody else because they've got larger ecosystem plays in mind. It is probably fair to also talk about how distorted Each of these companies is by their larger business issues, especially debt, because, you know, the truth is Warner Brothers Discovery is not playing the same game either because of the debt that they're trying to pay off. So they have priorities that are not the same. And Netflix, although it has debt, Netflix has kind of been playing this game for a long time. Uh, Whereas these other companies have just in the last three or four years rushed in and spent huge amounts of money and now are feeling regret, whether it's enormous debt or whether it's, you know, at Disney, it's Bob Iger getting pressure to stem the losses uh, from what they're spending on Disney Plus content.
1: Netflix also very smartly, uh, the reason Netflix was able to do what Netflix did was they took out, it wasn't even smartly, it was like a luck thing, but they took out debt, you know, at a time when it was like zero interest, rate. They paid back most of what they yeah. had to pay back uh, before interest rates spiked versus Warner Brothers Discovery came in and took on debt just before interest rates started spiking. So the repayments that they have to make in short order are far, far, far more um, impactful than what Netflix has to do. Netflix, I think they have one final payment in like 2024. It's in their earnings. I can't remember exactly what type of payment it is. And they're like, like, they're fine with it. And so any debt that they do take on is much more measured versus right. the debt that they've taken on and been able to pay off has been like able to get them to where they are. And now their competitors are in a place where they are working for their debtors, not for innovation or anything else. And so you get this moment of Netflix being like, ah, like we, we have this kind of runway again that our competitors seem not yeah. to have. And so it's been um it it, it the the Freud that existed against netflix now seems to be coming from within netflix uh, as it kind of looks out again
0: what a turnaround and given that this whole thing was sort of predicated on the fact that netflix had that bad quarter and everybody freaked out and yet here we are now and everybody else is freaking out and netflix kind of doing okay um (laughs) what a what a what a turnabout there um we have. Um, I want to do one more little quick topic uh, that's basically a segue into letters. Um, we've got a couple of topics we didn't get to this time. We'll do in two weeks. I want to talk about Netflix changing its calculations of of uh, its top ten because it's fascinating, and I want to talk more about fast streaming, especially Tubi. Um, but we'll do that next time because I want to uh, quickly dip in to sports corner.
1: Sports corner.
0: Uh short one but a listener wrote in an anonymous listener to point out that the Utah Jazz are now going to do the same thing that the Phoenix Suns did these are NBA teams they're going to put every game on local broadcast and then separately sell a streaming option to cord cutters so this is this seems like it's at least a model going forward is the the key moment is not it's not making things unavailable on cable or over the air it's not having it be exclusive. This goes back to the whole idea that it used to be you made these regional sports network deals because you were trying to lock people in. You have to get cable to see your favorite team. And as those deals became unmanageable, they've all started to fall apart. They either time out or there's a bankruptcy. This seems to be Uh, If not, I think what I said is I'm not sure if this is the final step, but it seems like it's a next step for a lot of teams, which is we're going to. So the Phoenix Suns, the San Diego Padres, the Utah Jazz, uh, you know, they, they are making the point that they're actually going by adding streaming in. They're going to a much larger audience that could potentially watch their games. The Phoenix or the uh, Utah Jazz argument was that currently jazz games could only be seen in about 39% of the market. I guess that's the penetration of the regional sports network. And now their market penetration is essentially 100% because it's anybody who can get an over the air signal or cable or satellite or the internet can get uh, those games by either watching it free over the air or by paying for the streaming service that they're a cord cutter. Um, and I also, I wanted to point out the irony of the fact that the broadcast TV station uh, in Salt Lake city, that's going to be broadcasting the jazz games is owned by Sinclair. That's their broadcast partner. Sinclair, of course, owner of the bankrupt diamond sports RSN packages. Um, but Sinclair also owns lots of local TV And uh, and so they're going to be their process, uh, their partner on this. And it's also like KJZZ or something. It's literally like the Utah Jazz channel, I guess, uh, which is fascinating. So, you know, I, I don't know if there's anything new here because it feels very much like what the Phoenix Suns are deciding to do, but sure starting to sound like a trend to me.
1: Yeah, and I think what's really interesting about this is the conversation I know I, I've been having this conversation with some folks in the idea of sacrificing the short-term revenue for potential long, mm-hmm. well, for potential longevity, right? The idea that if it's impossible to support these teams or carry these teams or make them accessible to viewers, effectively what happens is that a domino effect, right? You have less younger people who can right. find the game. There, then there's declining interest in potentially the team itself. Less tickets sold, less merchandise. Like you can see how that domino effect becomes a situation where then that team is getting bought and sent to like, you know, insert city name gear. Like to look at what Oakland and Los Angeles and Las Vegas. And so I think there is this conversation that's like, well, if we take the short term hit, but we assume that there's still interest in the league, which we know there is in the NBA, we know the interest in the NBA is continuing to grow and it has the youngest audience base out of any major sport. But part of the issue is the accessibility factor and getting people to watch in-market games because of these factors. And we take the hit on that. And we say, we're going to find a way. We're going to collect data. We're going to find a way to reach new audiences. And then we're going to find a way to monetize this. And, uh, or we're going to monetize it as best we can now. But then we're going to find new ways to monetize it. And we might go back to more traditional distri- distribution methods once we have the data that says that's the best way to do it. But we might not. And I think this yeah. is what a lot of the in-market locals need to do. The RSNs are an issue across every single league uh, for the most part. The RSNs are an issue across every team that operates within it. And so figuring out what to do before the entire system collapses is a top of mind topic Mm -hmm. for all the leagues uh, and for all the teams. And so finding these kind of owners and potential or I should say finding the owners who are willing to take those potential hits. And say we want to like like we'll give it a year or two years or we'll figure it out and we'll go from there or finding new partners and finding ways to increase the accessibility without restricting it. Um, I think is I think is key to this conversation.
0: Yeah, and everybody's going to be watching what happens here. And I think yeah. there's some interesting models. I mean, like advertising is a great example here. You've got potentially a much larger audience, and everybody's going to see the ads whether they're streaming it or seeing it over local TV. Um. And the local TV is all going to be on cable because there's generally a carriage. They, they you know they either pay or they they force the issue. There's legally they have to put those local channels on the cable systems, so everybody's going to get a chance to see it. They can sell ads to perhaps a much better ratings, so they might actually make a lot more money than they have on the advertising piece of this. Plus, they're going to make money off of the streaming package. So and some money is coming from cable, depending on what their deal is with the cable provider. So uh, everybody, you know, these are going to be a little lab experiments and i I think um you know the San Diego Padres are not really happy that it's come to this, but it has I think that the jazz and the suns uh those owners are really interested in exploring the future i I think they're in it for the long haul um I know that the I don't know about the jazz I know the sun's owner is a brand new owner, and I think he he's planning on owning this team for a long time, so he's ready to find what's next for his business model, and so they're gonna try it, and the rest of us will watch and uh and maybe we'll watch it over the air with a pair of rabbit ears. You could even do that. It would look fine, believe it or not. Yeah. Um, okay, let's do some letters before we go, because we've been going for uh, almost an hour. And uh, this is a letter from Bronwyn who writes With the expansion in the number of streaming services, how do you think small niche services will fare? I get a lot of value out of Dropout from college humor even though it has significantly less content because all of it is relevant for me, comedy and D&D. Nebula is a similar idea for educational content. We should, you know, we should probably talk about this a lot more in depth at some point, but like you have a yeah. quick reaction of just like, you know, we we talk a lot about the big boys, but how are the niche services going to fare? Are they going to are they going to make it or are they all going to be swallowed?
1: So, the nice thing about the niche services. So, when you're looking at your cost structure as a company, right, most of the heavy costs, especially within entertainment and production companies, falls on the OpEx side, so the operational expenses, the CapEx side, which is like your content expenses for these types of niche services, especially dropout, which is a great example, are relatively um, low. Similar, I mean, TCM, which has all the news going about it, Turner Classic Movies on the, on the Axe side is kind of similar. I mean, they they were a high margin business within cable. Um, But their, their cost came from the OPEX side, not the KPEX side. And so the nice thing about that is because uh, they're low uh, for services like like Dropout, because it's low KPEX and the OPEX itself, uh, the operational costs aren't that high. You can really exist with a much, much shorter uh, budget and much smaller revenue stream. I would say for a lot of these new services, I would find ways um to get into fast, which I think is a bit of a bubble and we'll get into that to another episode. Yeah, but next, next I time, do yeah. think next time. But I do think there is a really, it's a really strong market right now for content sellers. And so creating, and the nice thing about Fast is because they package together as many different channels as possible, going from like A-list movies and really big TV shows all the way down to like what we would refer to as kind of internet only or internet focused type services, like Dropout, Rotten Tomatoes, they, they do original programming. If we look at that, you can say, well, let's do a channel with you. Let's put our programming there and across the different channels because you're just creating a package of content that people can just kind of cycle through. And taking in that revenue, even if, especially if it's a bubble and kind of collecting that revenue up front can help with sustaining it through this really um, disruptive period over the next 10 years, I would say five to 10 years. But I, I think the majority of these services will either be acquired by a company and the, the very best of it is kept, and the rest is sold for parts. Um, or they'll kind of operate as standalones on YouTube, or they'll operate as standalones within Roku, and, and they'll kind of just be their own thing. Um, it really depends on how they manage their operational costs and how expensive those content costs get. But again, for like a service like Dropout, which is a great example, it's not super high.
0: All right. Uh, John wrote in and said, my wife was watching a reality show on Netflix the other day, one of the luxury real estate ones. It struck me... All the realtors' MacBooks had a gray sticker over the Apple logo. I commented on it, and my wife said she'd seen the same thing in other Netflix shows too. Do you think this choice is because of Apple TV Plus and Netflix wanting not wanting to give free PR to a competitor? Um, this
1: I can is take, Jason's. Yeah, this yeah, is I like can, Jason's brand. I can take this
0: one. It's product placement. Um, the generally producers of TV feel like you shouldn't show logos of companies unless they pay you. So the reason you see Apple logos all over everything if you look in the credits, it's because Apple has compensated them. Uh, They provided material and they've also provided basically for promotional consideration because they want everybody to be seen using iPhones and MacBooks and things like that. And when you don't see it, it's because they didn't pay. Now, maybe there's a corporate edict here, but my guess is that uh, it's really a larger issue of um, having a corporate policy that Apple doesn't get free advertising. If you want, if Apple wants its logo visible on the laptops people are using or, or some other company, if Microsoft, once a Surface tablet or something like that, they should pay. And that is that you, you do get some organic product placement from time to time because it's really more like, well, we just wanted to show this thing because it's the real world and this would be a real product. But a lot of it ends up becoming uh, a profit center is is actually saying we're not going to show your logo unless you Pay up. And uh, I will say this is nothing new. I was watching um, an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, a TV show that I absolutely loved. It was an episode from probably like 1998, where uh, Willow, uh, played by Allison Hannigan, is using a laptop. It is very clearly a Mac laptop. And there is the classic post it note over the logo. And why is that there? It's not because anybody was at war with Apple. It's because their people said, we're not showing an Apple logo unless they pay us. And then when you see Apple Apple computers everywhere in a TV show, guess what? Apple paid them. It either, either cash or supplied them with lots of hardware, uh, but probably cash too. Probably both. So that's what's going on there. I, again, Netflix could have a blanket thing about it, but my guess is it's really just about money. As it always is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Rahul wrote in and said, which of the cable networks will be the first to close down due to cost cutting? Showtime functionally killed its linear channel, but that was always a pay extra. Which linear cable channel dies next? Sci-Fi? USA? Endgame.
1: Oh, that's a good question. Endgame. We should make this a full episode. But uh, yeah, like,
0: we, could, we could come back to it. I, I'm reminded of the fact that, I mean, NBC Universal already shut down the NBC Sports Network. And pushed all of their sports content to usa network essentially um i think you're going to start to see stuff like that first right where it's like a company has five cable channels and they say you know what we don't need five cable channels and they and they slim it down even further however if they're getting paid i mean most of these most of these companies are not getting paid by the channel right they've got a deal where they've got a bundle of channels And there is a there is compensation because you think of the cable bundle, there are bundles inside the bundle. Like the reason Fubo doesn't have CNN and TBS is because there's a Turner bundle and they're going to charge Fubo a, a dollar amount. Per subscriber to Fubo for all of those channels, and Fubo's like, we don't want to pay that. That's the same for all of these providers. NBC Universal has a bundle that includes Sci-Fi and USA, uh, ABC, you know, and Disney have a bundle for the f- that includes all those ESPN channels and probably some other Disney stuff too. Like it's all connected, so that would be my guess. Is just that there's a moment where 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 somebody says we don't need this many. <laughs> uh we yeah don't need showtime to
1: also showtime is also uh almost like hbo a unique one because you're adding showtime to your cable package yeah right so you can more quick you can more evidently study like that decline and figure out when the mark is so then say this is now going to be a streaming only product if you look at sci-fi usa you know if you look at um some of the a&e channels look at hln right look at a bunch of those those exist within basic cable. And so it gets much harder because they're still getting affiliate revenue even if you're not getting that much of yours. And they still do well within cable. Like, even though cable is dwindling, those are channels that people are still kind of looking toward. And like, I know God knows through YouTube TV in my household, HLN is what we fall asleep to because it's always forensic files. And, and so like it's,
0: Right. And they're just running rerunning things endlessly. So the cost there isn't very much as long as it's part of the bundle. So that would be I mean, that would be my counter argument is maybe no cable channels go away unless they are driven like NBC Sports Network was really driven by um they had a special deal. They were trying to charge, you know, extra, and it was driven by the soccer rights and things like that. And I think there was some extenuating circumstances here. But in most of these cases, I would look at something like Fast, another subject that we're going to talk about more. Where on on Pluto TV or Tubi or something, there's literally an infinite number of channels, right? Because you've got content and you can just cycle it through forever. And even if it's sort of only marginally valuable, that's okay because the costs are even more marginal, <laughs> and so you we make sh- some we money. We should do.
1: We should do uh, a very good podcast from my colleague, Matt Bellady, the town. We should do a draft. We should draft three cable networks that we think are like the best cable networks that will probably last the longest oh. The cable bundle as linear exists. And then which ones we think and then two others that we think might go to streaming first. I think it gets more complicated, but I think it'd be fun.
0: We'll build our build a cable bundle. In a draft,
1: build a cable bundle. Love in a draft. it,
0: love it. We'll we'll do it. We'll also build a streaming bundle. It'll be fun. Yeah. Uh, I wrote it down. We're totally gonna. You don't have to tell me twice. I draft things on podcasts <laughs> all the time. I love it. Um, but thank you to Rahul. I guess we didn't answer your question, but you've spurred future episodes. So thank you. <laughs> yeah. uh, this one's completely self-serving from Patrick, who said, "Love, love, love the seafoam green color for the Downstream Plus cover art." Who picked the color? And the answer is, I did. I'm colorblind, but you know what? I picked a color Are I you liked. Really? I am. I mean, I can see colors. I just can't see uh, certain colors that well. Um, But it looked pretty to me. So uh, I'm and I I was gorgeous. Color overlays in Photoshop. So I had some limited choices. And that was one that I liked. Patrick says, I'd like to award them 1500 points. Of course, the points don't matter. But it's the thought that counts. Thank you, Patrick. That was me. Speaking of which, If you haven't yet, please consider subscribing to downstream. Plus this was a full sized episode for everybody, but uh, the only way to hear the complete version of our last episode and our next episode is to subscribe, go to downstream.plus to subscribe and support the show. And of course, if you've got a question for us like Bronwyn, John Rahul and Patrick visit downstreamfeedback.com love to your mothers. Um, And that wraps it up for this week. You can find Julia at loudmouth Julia on Twitter, uh, and blue sky and her writing is at parrotanalytics.com and of course puck.news you can find me sixcolors.com and i appear on many other podcasts here at real fm as well as over at the incomparable.com and my writing is at sixcolors.com and that's it for this time oh julia we covered so much and uh, hi to all our friends at cnn uh but until next time when you're back at home with a microphone uh with thanks a, mic. a lot say goodbye
1: bye everyone thanks jason